Guys, we're back. The point after episode eight. We've got football. We've got something to talk about finally. Week one recap. And we're about to talk about it all. The games, the top headlines, what we saw, what we loved, what we hated, what we think. We're going to overreact all of the above. Cody's top five quarterbacks is back for week one. We're going to hand out some game balls, buy or sell, all of that and more on the Point Officer episode eight. I can tell by your face. I mean, we've got football back. How are you feeling on this Monday? Feel great. You know, what a great first weekend we've had so far. Um, it has been an absolute crapshoot on what favorite was going to win, who was going to get upset. We thought for sure this team was going to win this game. They ended up losing. We thought for sure this team was going to go blow someone out. They ended up having a close game. But that's why we love college football, man. We love I mean, it's, it's the best. I mean, we, I thought I was like, okay, week one, you know, we'll, we'll usually see what we expect. There was a lot of surprises that we saw this weekend. And, and hold, hold on tight, folks, because it's going to be it's going to be a long season of a lot of upsets, a lot of Cinderella's. And we've got to we got to get started, Cody. We got to talk about the biggest Cinderella of the weekend, the Colorado Buffaloes beating number 17 TCU 45 to 42. Some quick highlights some quick stats. 45 points scored by this offense, all led by Shador Sanders, 38 for 47, 510 yards and four touchdowns, and a bunch of players, four wide receivers with over 100 yards. I think that's the first time in school history, if that, if I recall that correctly. First time, the first time so, funny happened. enough, the most they had ever had in a game was two. Wow. And they four. had four. And one of those plays DB as well, Travis Hunter, who got an interception on the other side. But Cody – I mean, I don't know where to begin on this, but I'm going to go to you. What was your biggest takeaway from Colorado beating TCU on Saturday? I think my biggest takeaway was the counterpunching because Colorado was up, and then T- it, it was almost like every time TCU would score, you'd kind of be like, okay, here goes TCU. They're about to kind of stretch this out and pull away. But mm-hmm. Colorado, Coach Prime had those guys believing and was able to keep those guys rolling. Um, every single time it felt like TCU was, like I said, about to stretch the lead. Here comes Shador Sanders back with a dart after dart after dart. Those receivers making plays. Um, shout out the running back, number three. His name is escaping me right now, but he was balling. Um, he had Edwards. two long touchdown catches. Um, Travis Hunter, obviously, they had another, uh, the receiver, uh, Weaver. He went over 100 yards as well. Um, so that was one of the more impressive performances, not only by Shador Sanders, but also as a team as a whole. Um, I was really impressed in the fourth quarter with how TCU or uh, Colorado's defense was able to actually stop TCU on that last drive. Because if you think about it, TCU and Colorado, it was almost like their offenses were just going like at will. And then ultimately, mm-hmm. when they had to have it, Colorado got the stop. And uh, that was super impressive. Now, do I think that Sonny Dykes and Kendall Bryles tricked off an easy win? Yes, I do. Because I think if they would have just ran the ball that entire drive, they would have walked into the end zone. But again, we're just analysts. We don't know what we're talking about, apparently. 
Uh, we do very much. But yeah, it was Dylan Edwards, four touchdowns from him. I mean, he had 135 receiving yards and he had 25 rushing yards as well. Cody, the thing that my biggest takeaway from this is this was the team everyone expected to play the sloppiest in week one. 18 to 22 starters being transfers. And you mentioned other teams that played sloppy. I thought Georgia played sloppy over the weekend. I thought Ohio State played sloppy. I thought Michigan played sloppy. This Colorado team did not play sloppy. Six penalties with oh. a completely new roster is huge. I thought that was the biggest, one of the biggest takeaways that I had um, over the weekend. And for TCU side of it, I kind of want to give the, the listeners kind of an insight on how hard it is to prepare for a team like Colorado yeah. week one. Because, um, I mean, I, I've had some you know experience, obviously, with Montana. But for a TCU perspective, they had to scout Jackson State film from last year on Shador Sanders, on Travis Hunter, and some of those guys that transferred over. They had to also scout on the defensive coordinator who was at Bama. So you're watching Bama tape on how the defense coordinator likes to run his defense, their tendencies, and so forth. And then you also got to scout the new cornerbacks, the new safeties, wherever school they went to to know where their tendencies are in, co- in man, in, co- in cover six, cover two, zone, blah, blah, blah. And on the other side of it, the offensive coordinator from Colorado is went to Kent State. So then you got to freaking look at Kent State film as well as personnel and even their scrimmage too. So for TCU side, I mean, it was a lot to deal with. You did not know what to expect. But I, I want to kind of like put it in perspective. It-, it was tough for TCU to prepare this for this team. And now later on in the season – People are going to be easier to prepare them because they'll know obviously what happened the week before, and there's more there's more game film. Yeah, definitely. I think that was actually something I had a conversation with someone yesterday because they they posted something like, "Is TCU really that bad, or is Colorado that good?" And I was like, "Oh, you know, honestly, it's probably a little bit of both because ultimately, like mm. on paper, TCU has a better team this year than they did last year. Um, did they lose a lot of their offensive production? Yes. In fact, they posted a stat during the game." that Colorado and TCU have the two lowest amount of offensive production returning in the Mm. country, which we get it. Their quarterback, their starting running back, and two of their starting receivers were gone. But at the same time, if you think about it, what makes it even tougher, 68 new scholarship players, 80-something total new players on the roster for Colorado. Like Ultimately, TCU essentially went into that game blind and essentially was going to have to try and out-talent Colorado. But also mm-hmm. on the flip side of that, Colorado has four stars, five stars, not only transferring in, but also that they were able to recruit the running back Henderson being one out of the state of Kansas. And so it's one of those things where like when it comes to like just out and out talent, like guy for guy, you could see on the outside, Colorado was able to match up um, on the front line. I think that's where TCU had a little bit of advantage that they did not take advantage of enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think that if they would have run for 350 yards in that game, they win that game by two touchdowns, but they decided to try and go shot for shot. Um, and Shador Sanders didn't blink and Chandler Morris did twice. So well, let's go, let's go into the quarterback play real quick before we, before I kind of get my second takeaway, Cody, because you know, you're obviously the quarterback guru. Let's start with Chandler Morris before we get to Shador Sanders. Um, what, what were the highs? What were the lows? What did you see from his performance as I'm looking right now? Uh, 24, 42, 279 yards, two touchdowns with two picks. Um, what stood out to me were the two picks. I mean, both of those were scoring opportunities. They were both in the red zone. Um, ultimately at the end of the day, like shout out to Colorado for playing good defense in the back end and Mm. bowing up when you needed to. But I think when you're like the starting guy on a returning national championship contending football team, 
Like there are just certain throws that you can't make and mistakes that you can't make. Um, I, I get it. Travis Hunter made one of those once in a generation plays out there on that wheel route by the running back. Um, but if you watch the film, like he is sitting there and I'm just like, there has to be another read. Like ultimately if we're reading the flat defender, that's Travis Hunter. And if he's sitting in the flat, we can't throw that. Um, mm. The post or the seam that he threw to the tight end that got intercepted in the end zone. Um, again, they went cover three or maybe one high man, the tight end flashed open, but he wasn't open because there was a middle high safety that was sitting there and he throws a pick. It's one of those things where like, I don't believe Max Duggan makes those mistakes last year. And that's the difference between TCU winning all those one score games last year and them mm -hmm. essentially starting the year off with a loss in a one score game this year. And then Shador Sanders, I mean, 38 for 47, 510 yards, four touchdowns. But also I want to add to that offensive line played outstanding. They gave him a bunch of time. I think they all had one sack, maybe a couple pressures. But, I mean, talk about what you saw from Shador Sanders. And, yeah, I mean, give, give us your thoughts about Shador Sanders. Shador Sanders, to me, had one of the more impressive debuts I've ever seen. I mean, when you talk about going on the road, national runner-up, national television, all the pressure, all the fame, all the cameras, all the eyes of the country are on you. And to perform like that, and really, if you think about it, his 38 for 47 probably should have been more like 42 of 47, 43 of 47. There was only mm. a couple throws that you were kind of like, ah, okay, that's an incompletion. Like there was one deep ball to Travis Hunter, two deep balls to Travis Hunter that were dropped. Um, there was another deep that ball to Weaver, I believe, that was dropped on the TCU sideline. And that's three mm. very catchable balls. One of them was for a touchdown to Travis Hunter that he dropped. And it's like, you're looking at creeping up on 600 yards passing against what was considered to be one of the better secondaries in the entire country. I know people talk about FCS to power five, but now these quarterbacks, when they're training and when they're getting ready to even come into college, they're playing seven on seven. They're seeing these reads. They're getting with specialized quarterback trainers to be able to function in those high pressure moments. And that way, when they do get to those, mm -hmm. it's just another day at the office for them. You actually mentioned their offensive line. They did a great job protecting Shadour. Um, I think part of that was, I don't know if you noticed, but early in the game, he was doing a lot of checking at the line of scrimmage, which a lot of times might not necessarily be changing the play, but might be adjusting protections just to make sure that if he's seeing a pressure coming from the field side of the boundary, making sure he gets the back to go the right way in, in uh, protection. So that was really, really impressive to just see him checking off at the line of scrimmage and checking his team into the right play. Um, I think also you really got to shout out the Kent State offensive coordinator for calling a hell of a football game. It was almost like every single time TCU wanted to blitz, they had a screen called. Every time mm. TCU wanted to back off, they had a nice little under concept. Every time TCU wanted to vacate the middle of the field, they had something down the middle that they were able to throw. Um, man, so shout out to the uh, offensive coordinator from Kent State uh, that he used to be the head coach there. He mm. absolutely dominated um, that TCU defensive coaching staff in that game and uh, put Shador in every single right situation. And Shador obviously had to deliver and he did a good job. Yeah, I agree. I, I love what the offensive coordinator did in that game. Um, and I had a friend text me and, and he, he said, uh, this was in the first half and he was like, Hey, I just feel like this Colorado offense is unsustainable and gimmicky. And I told him basically, I was like, why do you think it's gimmicky? And he was just like, Oh, well, it's too high speed, high pace, a lot of dink and dunk, blah, blah, blah. And I literally came back with him with his whole analysis that I'm going to say right now on the show. And he was like, wow, you know more college football than I do. I said, well, thank you, sir. Well, folks <laughs> out there that don't know, 
for an offense, you've got about 10 to 15 plays that you have set as your opening plays, right? Most of these plays aren't your home run hitting plays. Some of them are to see what the defense does in certain formations. Absolutely. One, a two by two, a three by one towards the boundary and towards the field. I told him all that. I said, basically what, what Colorado did in the first half, and tell me if I'm wrong, Cody, was they were, they weren't, they weren't in the enforcers. They were the reactors. So whatever they were going to give you, they were going to do. The three-three-five defense, soft covers on the slots. Let's RPO, uh, dink and dunk, you know, five-yard hitch on the inside, get five yards. Or maybe a slant on the outside. Or the zone read was good early. They ran the ball a lot early. They didn't run the ball much in the second half because, again, those DBs stepped forward, the deep shots behind. A ton of deep shots, like you mentioned, but – um, the one across with, I think Horn had one on the sideline, which was an absolute dime from Shador Sanders. Um, and then, and then um, I think Weaver was the no, it was Dylan Edwards. No, it was Horn with the um, with the post, and then he scrambled and cut it back to a yeah, that was JC Horn Jr. Yeah, thought it was amazing, and that's something too that I, I think with this staff, it, it's unreal how well coached these guys are. Dylan Edwards on that you mentioned the screen, the seventy-five yard screen, he he catches it. Way past his offensive lineman, realizes, oh shit, I'm in front of my offensive lineman. Cut scoops back. underneath, back back behind the line of scrimmage, and, and he just becomes an athlete there. And for a freshman to do that, we talk about Zach Branch. This Dylan Edwards kid might be as electric as Zach Branch. I've never seen a freshman just come out there and with four touchdowns is unreal. So I, I really think that what they did offensively, they didn't really get into their offense until the second half. They they were just reacting to whatever whatever they were giving him, a bunch of checkdowns, the speed caused TCU. I just felt like TCU was uncomfortable from the jump. And because their defense was uncomfortable, it made Chandler, jo- Chandler Morris uncomfortable and-, and this offense as well for TCU. Yeah, I think that TCU might have felt a little bit of the pressure. Oh, we're supposed to roll this team by mm. three touchdowns. Prime That's is scary here. Too. That's all scary. These, all That's these high-profile athletes coming. The whole show is coming to f- freaking Fort Worth. Like, everyone's descending on top of us to watch this game and they're really not even here to watch us they're here to watch the other mm-hmm. team but we're supposed to win so then it's just um i think the pressure got to them especially them not not just them but also like specifically Chandler morris mm-hmm. and then lastly let's talk about travis hunter real quick before we move on to the tcu side because we saw some good things from tcu we're not we're not just bashing tcu this entire episode but i mean i, I got two questions for you one i mean how the hell does this guy play 130 snaps at full speed every single play and then two um is this sustainable for the whole season for travis hunter you know what's interesting about that it was also 115 degrees on the field the whole game yeah so texas um Mm. and the reason i'll say this i think it is sustainable for two reasons usually in week one you're the most tired because throughout the season you get in more game shape game shape Mm. game shape game shape Plus, he also has the advantage of practicing and training at altitude. So when you go down to like regular, regular altitudes to play other football games, it's going to feel easier on the body and your body's going to be able to recover quicker. Mm. Um, So that's that's, I think, an an advantage of his being at Colorado. So um, ultimately, I mean, I see no reason why it can't be sustainable. Um, I didn't think he was going to be able to do it like that and at that high level against this team. Yeah. Um, which, and like I said, normally first week you're the most tired. So for him to be able to do that and be all chipper and stuff in that post game conference, that post game press conference, I'm like, 
the the Pac-12 should be terrified. <laughs> the Pac-12 <laughs> should be terrified of what they just saw from Colorado. Is he better at receiver or defensive back? Because I mean, defensive back side of it, yes, he got an interception, but I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at the receiving unit for the TCU, and they had nowhere to go on the outside. It was always the slot receiver and JP Richardson or the tight end and Jared Wildly. Wild I hear ball. you. It never I went th- on the outside. I so. think they tried him. They tried him once in the first half on a go route on like the first drive of the game, yeah, and they caught it. it. And it was almost like you saw him like kind of mm. look at the referee, like you didn't see him push off on me. And then and you saw the ref kind of be like, no. And you almost saw him like nod his head, like okay. And then from that point on, it was straight shackles. Like mm. there was one where there was like a deep ball down the sideline where the guy had it in his hands and he perfectly punched it out. And you just and he was just sitting there on his on his butt, just doing this and looking in the crowd with his little smirk on his face. And I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> Stop trying oh, yeah, that boy. And then they tried it oh, one yeah. more time and he got a pick. And so that's where it was kind of like, oh man. Um, uh, so super impressive debut by Travis Hunter. Um, I think the 100%. speed of the game at the beginning was kind of like starting to like kind of getting to him a little bit because he wasn't used to playing against players of that caliber in college. I mean, I'm not saying he didn't when he was playing for C1N or something like that in seven on seven, or even when he was at Cedar Hill or what is it called? Collins Hill, um, Collins Hill yeah. in Georgia at his high school. But I think it was just a big stage early. And I think once he kind of got into his flow, I mean, other than his quarterback, to me, well, actually, I take that back, bro. I think Colorado might have had the three or four best players on the field the whole game. Like, it wasn't even close. Like, Colorado beat TCU. TCU didn't lose this game. So, really impressed. I, I, got, I got two more questions about Colorado that we'll move on to TCU real quick. Um, I heard someone talking about this earlier. And Shador Sanders is eligible for the NFL draft. And they were making a case saying if he was going to stay, if he was going to stay at Colorado for one more year or leave. Um, I ask you, Cody, do you think Shador Sanders at this rate, do you think he leaves for the NFL draft this season? Or do you think that was my answer? To <laughs> I'll, I'll go, I'll go to you first. I'll go to you first. Yeah, absolutely not. And I think part of the reason why is there's, this is going to be such a quarterback heavy draft mm. that you could go anywhere from like, first round to third round realistically based on need in the NFL and also the players coming out. So, um, and not even based on talent, that's the thing. So for example, like when you have a Caleb Williams, when you have a Bo Nix, when you have a Drake may, um, potentially a Jordan Travis, a Jaden Daniels, um, a DJU, like all these Mm -hmm. guys are coming out this year more than likely. And, uh, I think that if Shador is smart, at least if this is what I would be advising him is like, look, man, you ball out, you go throw for 4,500 yards, 40-plus touchdowns, single-digit interceptions this year against top competition. Let those guys leave. You come back as the number one guy on the draft board for the 2025 draft. Literally, the number one guy. I'm looking at 2025 quarterbacks. I mean, you got Drew Aller if he pans out. You've got Cade Klubnick, um, Connor Weigman from from Texas Texas A&M. But, like, seriously, like – Yeah, see? (laughs) And he's got such a good friendship with – Travis Hunter too. Those two could go one and one and two in the draft. I mean, I don't know who else. I mean, you've got a two way player in Travis Hunter, and people were saying, "Oh, I wonder if he can do it in the NFL." Prime's like, "Why wouldn't you do it in the NFL?" That's what he's great at. He's 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 proving that he can do it both ways. Obviously, you know, the NFL is a lot different. We understand that different level, but um, yeah, I mean, I mean, then Shaver Sanders is the best quarterback in that class. So those two could definitely go one and two. My second question to you, Cody. 
They they beat TCU. They shocked the world and beat TCU. We said reference another our our most famous clip. Colorado will shock the world, and you and me said that they would win more than what games that people expected. We said they win five to six games. I'm looking at their schedule right now, Cody. Nebraska dub right. Yep. Colorado say dub. That's Easy. three. That's three and zero. So they're three and zero. Three and zero at Oregon. How do we feel about that's at a Oregon, L, bro? I'm sorry. I like. Don't get me wrong. Like I love what Coach Prime is doing. I just think that's too much, too early, and like mm. it just is what it is. I don't think. I don't think they'll win. I mean, I didn't think they were going to beat TCU though. So yeah, we we believe it's just it's a tough road test. It's a first. That's for sure. Second like Oregon's going to be probably by then. Oregon will be a top ten team. Three and one, uh, which that game might be at. I mean, College Game Day might be there for sure because they'll so both if, be Colorado's undefeated. Three and zero. Yeah. Interesting. College game, college game day will be there. Um, home against USC again. Watch out, USC's Ooh, defense, because if your defense keeps playing the way you guys keep playing, you guys are going to get that. That game is going to be like fifty-eight to fifty. Facts, and that'll be a like if Shador Sanders wants that notoriety, go head to head with the reigning Heisman Trophy winner and outplay him. Oh boy, I can't wait. <laughs> oh, what's the date on I'm that like, one? September thirtieth. Folks, we might month. go live for that game, like we did for <laughs> Alabama, Tennessee last year. We might live stream that entire. Especially we, we might have to if they beat Oregon. Especially oh if they beat Oregon. Well, even if they're three and one, because because I mean USC, I mean USC's been undefeated too, and that's yeah, but a USC's home game. defense sucks. So we know it's like you said, it's going to be like sixty to sixty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, their defense sucks. We'll get into that later. Um, at Arizona State, so let, 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 let's not win. put anyone on there. Win, that's okay? Win. So they got four. Uh, they've got four wins guaranteed. Stanford, that's a fifth win. At UCLA, I think they win that one too. After what I saw from UCLA. Depends on Dante Moore. I don't think UCLA Dante ha- is Moore talented enough. Game. I don't think UCLA is talented enough on the edges. Mm. So that's one, two. That's six. That's, five that's six and two. Six wins. That's six wins. Yeah, that's six Oregon two. State, tough no. at home. No. Oregon no. State, no. no. U of A at home. They could get, they're, they're winning that they game. They could win that game. Seven at Wazoo could be eight wins. Wow. And then they finish wow. up with Utah, which we know how that's going to go. Yeah, at Utah is <laughs> tough. Yeah, exactly. If they play their backups, it might be a close game. Who knows? Yeah. But, um, dude, I mean, even if they make a bowl game, that's a hell of a first year. Eight wins for sure for Colorado. That's a definitely a statement left for them. Real quickly, TCU. Yes, we're spending a lot of time on this game, but me and Cody are so passionate about this one game. Highlight of, of the weekend. I honestly was impressed with TCU, to be honest. I, I didn't think... You know, being 17 in the country, I was like, okay, maybe they're a little overranked. Uh, they're fifth ranked in the Big 12. Looking back on this, Cody, I think that is a team that could, compen- could could contend for the Big 12 conference when it's all said and done. They've got a lot of talent on both sides. They didn't play well defensively, but they've got a lot of seniority on defense. And then as well as Chandler Morris could play better too. Yeah, you know, I think if, as long as Kendall Bryles understands kind of like the two-headed monster that you referenced when we were talking at running back, Oof. I think if he rides those guys just to kind of let Chandler Morris kind of get more into a flow, um, I think that TCU definitely has the talent to win the Big 12. I mean, I actually said it. It's funny enough. Someone posted like, oh, yep, season's over for TCU if they lose to Colorado. And I was like, yeah, and then they go and win the Big 12, right? And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, did you see a lack of talent from TCU or did you just see Colorado win a game? Like you guys have to understand like week one, there's a reason why week one usually has the most upsets. It's because people have all summer to prepare for these teams. 
Mm. all summer, all off season, all summer to prepare. And then also on the flip side, especially with the transfer portal, you're essentially playing a whole new team that you can't even scout. Like you were saying in the TCU Colorado situation, mm. ultimately at the end of, end of the day, TCU is going to be fine. Nine and three, possibly <laughs> if they get to nine and three, they'll be contending for the conference championship in the big 12. Yeah. It's not out of the realm yeah. of possibility. Cause that means they would just have two conference losses. Trey Sanders, Amani Bailey, they combined for 200 yards on 29 carries and three touchdowns. I mean, Trey Sanders, 230 pounds, big boy. And then Bailey, 200, 200 pounds, and that dude can run. He's 5'9", but he's got the Bro, speed. Trey that Sanders, was an area that – If you watch yeah. Trey Sanders' touchdown runs, he jogged. Like, he was jogging. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, you guys, TCU's not a bad football team. TCU is They just fine. got caught. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's just and, like and, saying and, LSU – Oh, 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 that's a good transition. Speaking <laughs> of transfer portal moves for Florida State versus LSU, who got caught. I mean, guys, I mean, you want to talk about the second biggest upset of the weekend. I think Florida State, no one thought this was going to happen. Maybe some people did, like Reese Davis, who had Florida State in his college football playoff. But the fact that they came in the second half, scored 31 and answer points, and won 45 to 24, led by Jordan Travis and company. And the stud transfer class over there. Cody, what stood out to you the most about this Florida State win over LSU? Honestly, what stood out to me was how much better the Florida State wide receivers looked than the LSU DBs. LSU is known as DBU, or at least one of them. Mm. And it was very evident that Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, and crew were just better than them on the outside. And Jordan Travis executed really, really well. He only had eight incompletions, threw for over 340 yards, four touchdowns. He also rushed for a touchdown. Um, and coming into this year, I said that LSU's defense was going to be a strong suit, and unfortunately they let them down. Now, as you and I have talked about, LSU was missing eight starters heading into that game. Whether they were injured, suspended, whatever, held out, we don't know all the details. But ultimately, mm-hmm. no excuse. At the end of the day, Like when you recruit at the level that LSU does on a year-to-year basis – there's no reason why you should be getting beat 21 by 21 in a big time game like that. I think the biggest takeaway for me is, I mean, Florida state was just flat out more physical than LSU. In every straight way. Up. I mean, that, that's a boring answer to say, in but every it's, way. Facts. it's facts. Every single phase, the offensive line, the defensive line, the wide receivers going up and getting 50, 50 balls kind of looked like, you know, Kelvin Benjamin back in the day and some other wide receivers. And we talked about in the Clemson episode, that was kind of Clemson's old offense was just throwing up and having 50-50 balls. But, I mean, the star of the show was Keon Coleman from Michigan State. If you're a Michigan State fan, how the hell do you let this guy leave? Nine catches, 122 yards, and three touchdowns. And, Cody, that's a guy. He's a junior right now. That's a guy kind of reminds me of the Quinton Johnson, in effect, where mm. he's, not, he's not the highest-ranked receiver right now. He's kind of like in the bottom. But if this team keeps winning – don't be surprised if this guy's a, a top 15 pick in this first-round draft, or he's at least a first-round pick, because he does remind me a lot of Quentin Johnson, and he's kind of that guy that's his rise, his stock is going to peak up. Guys like Mel Kuyper and you know Todd McShay are going to start to look at this guy, because, yeah, wow, yeah. what a performance. Yeah, you know, anytime you can beat, consistently beat DBs from LSU, that's going to be a good night. And then whenever mm-hmm. you're able to put your feet in the paint, which is what we call you know scoring touchdowns, um, yeah, and he scored three of them on Saturday or yeah, on Sunday, apologies. Um, that's, that's honestly where, you know, you kind of start to get those eyes because I'm sure, you know, scouts are probably looking at 
oh, six foot seven, Johnny Wilson, da 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 da. He's Jordan so Travis, fun. and then Ke- <laughs> here comes Keon Coleman stealing the show. So, mm. um, super fun to watch. Um, you know, my apologies, LSU. Um, I, I'm, it sounds like I set you guys up for failure. <laughs> um, but I mean, honestly, like you said, some, we actually have everything. LSU has everything to play for. You know, a non-conference loss to a, a top ten team in the mm. first week of the season. If LSU runs the table, they'll be just fine. So. The the playoff bracket is still intact for Cody. It's still intact. It's still intact. It's just week we just got to be but... perfect now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I mean, something else that kind of caught me off. I mean, I can't believe they caught this off guard by LSU. But that two back offense that they ran for Florida State, the two running backs just completely threw LSU off for a loop. And and I mean, a guy that I was confused by um, a new role for LSU, putting him LSU, and Brian Kelly wanting him to be a true linebacker instead of just you know read and react and be that edge guy, that dynamic player we mentioned in the SEC preview, is Harold Perkins Jr. Where was he? He was used as a QB spy. Why is he used as a QB spy? They needed pressure. They couldn't give him pressure at all. Let Perkins be that guy. You see more edge rushers in the NFL even get paid, too, like the Aiden Hutchinsons. You know, and the JT Tomala, when he goes up to the league, he'll be one of those guys. But, I mean, Harold Perkins, that's what he that's what he does. He has a bunch of sacks last year, Cody. Why Why do you think Brian Kelly's doing this to Harold Perkins? The only thing I can think of is maybe some of the starters that we referenced earlier were out. Mm. And I think maybe they needed him because he knew the defense better than others and they trusted him to be in that position. Um, so sometimes when you have eight starters out um, for a team, you kind of have to put guys in positions that they're not used to or they're not usually mm. in. Um, and it kind of changes their role. So um, I'm hoping that's what it is. And I hope once those guys get back, he's able to kind of get back to, um, like you said, that hybrid rush and outside linebacker that's able to just play fast and come off that edge. Let's get into the quarterback talk. Obviously, Cody, uh, Jordan Travis will start off 23 of 31, 342 yards, four touchdowns. He did get an interception. He had one throw, really bad throw inside his own five. That should have been an interception. Yes. But besides those, thought he finished the game well. Just your overall thoughts about Jordan Travis. Honestly, what it genuinely felt like he like took that Jaden Daniels challenge like personally. Like, okay, everyone's talking about Jaden Daniels as like the guy who's supposed to come in here and beat me and lead his teams in that. Okay, watch this. And I think that that kind of fueled his performance. Like there was one point where like he threw a touchdown and was like waving to the crowd, like, bye, like see you guys later. And just he had just a level mm. of swagger that we hadn't really seen from Jordan Travis in the past. Um, and I, as you know, like I'm a trash talker who talks a lot of trash and has a little bit of swagger when he's on the field, whether I'm coaching or playing. And when I get to see a quarterback kind of having that, because we're always told as quarterbacks, be hand the ball to the ref, be the calm guy. Like, you know, sometimes you got to talk your shit. And I think Jordan Travis was doing it <laughs> at a high yeah. level and he was backing it up with his play. So that was, that was just fun to watch for me. It was just his demeanor, his overall leadership and kind of his control of his team. And then on the other side, let's talk LSU. What went wrong for LSU? Uh, I mean, Jaden Daniels, 22 at 37, 347 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Um, talk about his performance, and then we'll kind of get into what went wrong with LSU, maybe what they can get better on moving forward. Um, for me, I think he was struggling in protection. Like, I think he like he was getting pressured, and I think he was seeing it too yeah. late to be able to utilize his legs. Because sometimes, hmm. as a quarterback, you can see a pressure coming and you think you'll have it picked up, but because you know where it's coming, you can get out with your legs. Cause Jaden Daniels is a dynamic athlete. And so for, to see him kind of like be in the pocket, kind of like, Oh, 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 like 
to me, whenever I see a quarterback kind of doing this in the pocket, like you <laughs> got confused and you got and you guessed wrong, and so Chill. now you're stuck. And I think that happened one too like few too many times for Jane Daniels. Um, and I think that that's ultimately why in the second half, Florida State was able to kind of separate. Because in the first half, if you notice, like Jaden Daniels was using his legs, design quarterback runs, zone reads, even possible passing plays where he was able to just get out and run right away because um, he recognized man coverage. I think they were starting to bluff some of those coverages, bluff some of those pressures, and it made him hesitate for just a second. And when you're playing against top-end rush athletes like Florida State has because they recruit at the same kind of level that LSU does, that's mm. when you start to kind of run out of time. Um, and I think you saw in the second half, Florida State up front really just trying to take over the football game. Yeah, and I think the second part of it, I think Brian Kelly was a little too aggressive. I mean, take the points. I mean, 0 for 3, uh, fourth down conversions, 2 inside the 5, 2 inside their own 20. I mean, I understand if you don't get it, you put FSU in a tough situation. But, I mean, to go with a long drive and not end up with points, not end up with at least three points, you know, kind of gain that lead in the first half. That was kind of a letdown for them. And the plays they did, too. Some, some of the same zone reads that they've had. You mentioned the offensive line. Offensive line was shit. And well, I don't know why you keep going to the, I don't know why you keep going to the zone read when Jay Daniels is pulling it. He's still getting tackled. It's like one of those things, you know, you kind of look at yourself in the mirror. you got to kind of either throw the football, change it up a little bit, a little play action, or, or a little shift, movement, all that kind of stuff, or just kick the field goal. Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing what I saw was that um, it felt very less milesy. Mm, that no, one less miles. They called him like the old like. Oh, I just know people in the comments. LSU fans are screaming at you for saying. Oh, that. I mean, it just wow. is what it is. The man used to go for that every is. fourth down. He used to fake field goals, yeah. fake punts, do all kinds of extra stuff, and that felt like that. Except the problem was you guys weren't just getting it done. So, um, I think some of the play calling, like, like the fourth and two, kind of like I want to say in the third quarter. That kind of felt like, okay, mm. this is probably about ball game if Florida State goes down and scores. When they kind of – they tried to slip Mason Taylor out into the flat, like, on, like, a zone read, and they were going to, like, give him the run-pass option. It was like, mm. dude, it's fourth and one. You don't trust your offensive lineman to get you one yard? Like, yeah, hand the ball off. But, again, what do we know? We're just college football analysts. We are, we're not college exactly. football coaches. <laughs> we got a lot of insight from college coaches for sure. But let's move on to the last. We have two more games we're going to break down and get some other takeaways real quick. I mean, South Carolina, North Carolina, uh, it was a tight spread. Um, you know, we were excited for Spencer Rattler versus North Carolina. And I even said this on the phone to you, Cody. And, you know, I, I South, Spencer Rattler is an Arizona guy. I uh, wish nothing but the best. But I hoped he got embarrassed on Saturday night and that he did. But not because of his play, because of the offensive line. I mean, nine sacks, nine sacks from a, from a defense that wasn't supposed to be good, like North Carolina. I mean, wow. And it was frustrating, too, because South Carolina, I mean, offensively, I mean, Xavier Leggett on the outside, those two 50-50 balls, deep balls. I mean, I mean Spencer Rattler, 30 of 39, 353 yards. That should win you football games. But because your defense was so bad and your offensive line was so bad, you end up losing the game by 14. South Carolina had negative rushing yards on 21 attempts. <laughs> I didn't even mention that. Oh my god! You Negative can, two yards on thirty-one carries is crazy. You can't win a football game when you rush for negative yards. You just can't. And ultimately, what that does, it allows the defense to play pass coverage. And even though Spencer Rattler went thirty for thirty-nine, when you go thirty for thirty-nine and it's for less than like four hundred and fifty yards, which it is because he's in the three hundreds, mm. 
that tells me there's a lot of like I'm having to get the ball out of my hands immediately to like a running back or a check down or a slant or a quick swing or a bubble or a now screen. Mm. That's great. That's being efficient. But ultimately, is it pushing the ball down the field, which is what Spencer Rattler's greatest strength is when you have the arm talent of a Spencer Rattler, deep comebacks, deep digs posts off a of play action those are the things that allow him to kind of take his game to the next level but when you don't have the protection that allows you the time for the receivers to get downfield to do those things now he's stuck being just an rpo west coast offense quarterback which is not his strong suit and sometimes they I mean, north carolina would rush three guys and get to the quarterback crazy you know they would only rush three guys crazy. and it's one dude being two defense being two offensive linemen and he gets to the quarterback there um on the other side drake may 24-32, 269 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. At the end of the game, he wore a Quay, um, I know it's Tez Walker, Tez Walker jersey, as he still hasn't got eligibility granted from the NCAA. He's supposed to be their best receiver. But, I mean, Cody, what, what impressed you most from Drake May's performance in, in a good win, in a good South Carolina team? Yeah, you know, I think that ultimately, like, Drake May played a decent football game. I don't think that there's anything that stood out. Um being being a top being in our top 10 at, of our quarterbacks at the beginning of the year like I expected a little bit more from him against the South Carolina defense that is it, like, it was like a mid performance it was like yeah, okay it was Drake, like, like okay you threw a picks, couple touchdowns, touchdowns. for like 300 yeah. but you did throw a couple picks and like hmm. so to me it felt very regular you know not oh I'm supposed to be the number one draft pick type so yeah I mean we'll see yeah. I mean I, it is game one High-profile game, national TV audience. I understand that, but ultimately, like you're still out there to perform. So we'll see Mac how he Brown performs getting the rest of the year. Mac Brown getting his 100th win, also big. very happy for him. I mean, obviously, being a Texas, we're big fans of him as well. Um, let's move on to the last one. This was on Thursday, but this game again, just like Colorado TCU, this game had a lot of impact, and we were watching this game it was Florida Utah. We understand it was on Thursday, but I mean, this game. I mean, holy shit, Utah! You can recruit. You've got depth. You talk about starters missing, like LSU. Well, Utah missed like eight starters, including their stud quarterback, Cam Rising, and they blew out the waters for Florida. Cody, what was your biggest takeaway from this game? 24 I, to 11. Bro, I texted you this, and I posted it on Twitter. Utah's defense might be the best defense in the country. Forget statistics. Forget, oh, turnover margins. Forget... Oh, this guy's going first round draft pick. That unit, the defensive unit for Utah, 11, like from 1 through 11, might be the best as a group in the entire country. Florida had no answer for their uh, their front seven. And in their back end, like usual, they usually have good DBs. They were straps. So, like, good luck. Like, that Utah team. Reminds me of what Michigan is doing in the Big Ten. Because in the Big Ten, everyone's kind of opened it up, started throwing spread. Mm. But Utah still has that kind of ground and pound mentality, work pill mentality. We're not getting drafted, but damn it, we're going to go win another conference championship type. So, Florida was one of 13 on third downs. Bro. Bro. Two of five on fourth downs. One of 13. Now, Utah didn't do much better. I mean, three of 13, right. however. <clears throat> I mean, the quarterback play, we've got to talk about their dual quarterback system that they had. Um, obviously, Bryson Barnes, 12 of 18, 159 yards, one touchdown. But, I mean, the star of the show, I thought, was Nate Johnson, the freshman. This guy could throw it. I mean, only six yards throwing, three three, uh, excuse me, three passes. But 
This dude's shifty as hell. I mean, the future's bright for him. Obviously, we're kind of biased here at the point after. I think a guy named Isaac Wilson will be, you know, the eventual starter eventually. Oh, for this shout Utah out team. Isaac Wilson. Shout out Isaac Wilson, guy, friend of the program. But, Cody, what, what kind of impressed you offensively from this Utah team? I think Utah being able to dominate an SEC team up front on both sides of the ball is what really had me surprised. Like, And also <laughs> their receivers to win one-on-one matchups in the back end. I mean, you guys saw it, the first play of the game. First play of the game. Just a straight play action, two-man route. Um, quarterback had all day to throw it. He launched it, and their DBs got cooked by a receiver. You know, ultimately, at the end of the day, like, Florida has been known for their front seven and DBs in the back end being able to th- run with receivers and be able to lock them down mm-hmm. one-on-one. And frankly, like, Utah was able to run right by him with some receivers that weren't as highly recruited as those guys at Florida and not, like – Coach Whittingham, I think we talked about it in one of our previous episodes, has done the most with least with the less. Done the most with the least um, <laughs> over the go. past probably 10 there to 15 go. years, not only in the Pac-12, but also um, in the country, I think. I mean, one of those receivers, 70-yard catch, the first play of the game, touchdown. I was like, yo, yo, that place was loud, Bro. loud. I mean, but on the other end, I mean, Graham Mertz, I mean, I mean, 333 yards, one touchdown, one pick's not terrible. Obviously, the interception, too. But I think for me, the Florida-wise, I think they beat themselves up. I think Billy Napier is kind of, you know, on the hot seat, like we mentioned for the SEC episode. Um, I don't know how on earth you let this happen. How do you get a delay a game with two guys with the same number on in a formation? How did that, that doesn't make sense. I mean, as as – you know, guys who have been in the college football program, you go all week with GAs, with offense coordinators, even on special teams set. Hey, we're going to have these guys play punt. Are there any number issues here? No. Okay. Punt return, kickoff return, blah, 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 blah. Even offensive formations. Cody, I don't understand how that happens. I don't get how that happens. And that's just bad coaching from Florida. They were not prepared. Remember when we did our preview episode, Coach on the Hottest Seat? Yeah. I need to change my pick. Because Billy Napier... Mess around if you want to, but Billy Napier, if you go, th- like, look, you might not even make the year out, bro, because if you, because what you guys put on the field against Utah, Tennessee's going to beat you by 50. Georgia's going to beat you by 50. Mm. And that's not a disrespect to Utah. That's just a, those are rivalry games where players usually play above their head against you. And if I you think can't, one thing that- <laughs> and if you can't go on the road to a Pac-12 team and do what you're supposed to and get deboed while doing it, you can only imagine mm. what those SEC teams are going to do to you. I think one thing that did not help him and Florida out at all was the release of Swamp Kings happening before their first game because now people were like, oh, I remember how dominant Florida was. Right. <laughs> oh, I remember what they used to do with Urban Meyer to win a national championship. Oh, I used, when they have Tim Tebow, is Graham Burtz going to be our Tim Tebow? No, he's not going to be your Tim oh, Tebow. Oh, shout out and Urban no Meyer to Utah and Florida. Shout out Urban Meyer. Yeah, shout out Urban Meyer. Um, other takeaways, your biggest takeaway from week one, besides the games that we talked about, what kind of stood out to you? What stood out to me was the Pac-12. The Pac-12 <laughs> is 13-0 and right now. That every single team is undefeated right now, which should tell you something up. about the depth of the league and also the amount of talent in there. We said it this year that this might be the Pac-12's best year and it's going to be their last year. Um, so if they're able to kind of go out, and especially if someone's able to run the gauntlet through the Pac-12 this year, they 100% deserve to be in the playoff and probably will be either the number one or number two seed based on the amount of talent, not only in the league, but also the talent that they played in the non-conference as well. There's so much talent. Colorado, Oregon State, Utah, USC, Washington, Oregon, all these teams look really good too. 
Um, for me, a big takeaway, I like Jalen Milrow, man. I mean, a lot of pressure for him. We talked about players that had the most pressure heading into the season. He got the start. Well, now, we don't know if it was the for real start or if it was just for this first game, but I thought he balled out. I know it was Middle Tennessee State, but I mean, certain plays, guys, where it doesn't matter what the opponent was, a bobbled snap, catch it, roll out right, and just run for a touchdown or you know, hit a guy late. In certain situations on third down, maybe there's a lot of pressure when he needed the most. Jalen Milrow made a great play. He made some good plays out there, and I fully expect him to be the starter against Texas, and that's going to be an interesting game because you got Texas with Quinn Ewers with a lot to prove, which was on that episode two of most most pressured players versus Jalen Milrow. So for me, Jalen Milrow kind of sticks out to me on what I saw this weekend. And anything else sticks out, we'll just kind of bounce back and forth. Yeah, you know, um, Ohio State. I was about to say, what are we going to talk about this? What are we doing over there? (laughs) Who's who's your quarterback? Who's going to deliver the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr.? Panic button, panic button, panic button. I mean, it might be early for the panic button. I get it. It's game one. But, guys, (laughs) you have the best receiving core bar none. No questions asked. Just get them the football. You have two running backs that are going to get drafted. Get them the football. Like, Indiana should never be within one score of you guys at halftime, ever. With the amount of talent, how you guys recruit, how you guys develop talent once they get on campus, there's no way Indiana should be even close to you. Seven to three at halftime? That's embarrassing. Ohio State, figure it out. Please. Please. I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Buka combined five catches, 34 yards. Now, that tells me three things. One, is this on the receivers? Is this on the corners? Are Indiana's corners like the best no, corners in the league not. In, in the nation? No. Or were the was the quarterback just just too much pressure over overcomposed? I guess and just couldn't get him the football. Kyle McCord. I mean, it's time to panic. It's time to panic, Ohio State fans. I'm gonna say it. If you're focused on the quarterback position into week two, who's gonna start? And then week three, when you play. All week four, when you play at Notre Dame and you still don't know who's your starting quarterback, you've got Youngstown State and Western Kentucky. Indiana is a better team than those teams. Yes, give me that. I'll, I'm going to admit it. I, I mean, Western Kentucky might be a battle, <laughs> but Youngstown State, I mean, they're obviously worse. That first test is going to be Notre Dame and kind of throwback to Clemson. DJU gets the start. He struggles. They play Cape Klubnick. Cape Klubnick, it's over. Could we see that happen? I think it's time to panic for Ohio State. This quarterback is very concerning, and the fact that they still don't know what to do after what happened, I don't know. It's very concerning for us. Yeah, you know, I think think we said it. Notre Dame is going to have multiple games where they're going to be able to kind of shut some people up and or vault themselves into the college football playoff conversation. That week four game is looking more and more. Like, originally it was kind of like, uh, Ohio State by 10. Now it's like, Notre Dame by 10? (laughs) <laughs> Notre Dame by 14? Like, I don't know. We'll see. Bro, Hudson Card should have transferred to Ohio State. <laughs> Could you? Okay, I'm serious. Hudson Card or even like a Michael Pratt if you went from TCU or from Tulane to like Ohio Devin State. Devin Leary. The takeaway for me, I'm going to go Drew Aller from Penn State. I thought he played really well. Very composed. Um, felt like he was, he's been playing there for a while. 21 to 29, 300. 25 yards, three touchdowns. Sorry to spoil the stats. Might be on the top five for Cody's list. I have no clue. I haven't seen it. But 
I thought I thought he looked good. First game of the season, obviously being at home, a lot of pressure being the seventh-ranked team. I thought he played well. That kind of impressed me. Yeah, you know, Drew Aller, I, I mean, I already told you guys in our preview episode, I thought that he was going to be probably the best quarterback in the Big Ten outside of J.J. McCarthy. And so um, mm. I think that as long as he's able to keep steady um, and keep delivering the ball to their playmakers, I think this is the best offense that uh, Coach Franklin has had since kind of probably that 2016-2017 offense with Saquon Barkley, Chase McSorley. Um, and those receivers on the outside. So, um, yeah, Drew Aller, great job. Um, for me, last standout thing, um, does Washington have the most explosive offense in the country now? <laughs> they look damn good. They looked terrifying. Like, just how I felt that Utah's defense looked, Washington's offense looked that dominant. Because everyone knows, Boise State, if you play Boise State in week one, that's horrifying. Anytime they line up, against, especially against these Power 5 teams, normally they're the ones who end up springing the upset or making it close. Washington took them to the woodshed. 56-19, to 19, I think, was the final score. Yeah, 56-19. Um, and it probably could have been way worse. Um, so shout-out to Michael Penix and those wide receivers, man. You guys looked absolutely explosive. Um, more about them later in the show. Ooh, a little teaser there from Cody. All right, my last one, my last takeaway. Um we got to shout him out because it just happened yesterday. I'm going to go Oregon State and DJU. I mean, dude, I mean, the fact that he came out like that, he looked comfortable, like we mentioned with Drew Aller. Three touchdown passes, our boy Aiden Charles got some play in there too. But Aiden, your time will come. I think this is DJU's year to kind of get his redemption tour of what was. But, I mean, this the running back 145 yards, two on the ground. But I was most impressed. Again, we mentioned these Pac-12 teams. We mentioned Oregon too. 81 points. This Pac-12 conference, I mean, it's so deep, man. It's so deep, and these guys can play ball, bro. And it's just sad that the Pac-12 is going away. But I'm excited for kind of these teams to kind of, you know, show themselves in those new conferences, Oregon and Washington in the Big Ten. And wherever Oregon State goes, hopefully they go to a Power 5 school. But, man, I think Oregon State, I love what I saw out of them this weekend. Absolutely, absolutely. Shout out Aiden Childs. We see you, Agent Zero. We know you're up next. Up next soon. Well, speaking of up next, it's Cody's top five quarterbacks week one edition. Ooh. Let's get right to it. Let's get right honorable, to it. Honorable mention, Cody. Honorable mentions for our quarterback, our top quarterbacks for the week. I have two. Anytime Ooh. in a game, a full game, you throw for 90 plus percent completion rate, you're doing something special. That being said, Shout out to Michael Pratt from Tulane and Jacob Zeno from University of Alabama, Birmingham. Michael Pratt from Tulane, 14 of 15, 294 yards, four touchdowns. Excuse my son. (laughs) (laughs) Jacob Zeno from UAB, 38 for 41, 291 yards, and three touchdowns. For those keeping numbers at home, both of them are at about 93% completion percentage. That's ridiculous. Good. So show, show a little 93%. love to the group of five right there. Tulane and UAB. I love it. Um, group of five. Good talent there, too. Group, yes, sir. Group, yes, group sir. Yes, sir. Talent. Get some boys. So at number five, at number five, Emory Jones from Cincinnati. They beat Eastern Kentucky 66 to 13 over the weekend. Emory Jones went 19 of 23 for 345 yards, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. So shout out to Emory Jones from Cincinnati. You are our number five quarterback for week one. 
Number four. Number four. Might surprise some people that he's this low on the list, but Caleb Williams from USC, 66 to 14 over Nevada, an expected blowout, 18 of 24, 319 yards, five touchdowns, no turnovers again. Um, the returning Heisman winner has started to improve on the numbers that he put up last year, which is crazy because he went for like 4,600 yards and 40 plus touchdowns last year in route to winning the Heisman. So it'll be interesting to see if he's able to improve on those numbers and USC is able to improve on their record this year. Is he going to be able to go back to back? Who knows? A couple big matchups in the Pac-12 to probably decide that Heisman Trophy race uh, down the road at home against Washington, I think on the road at Oregon. So it'll be interesting to check those out. Number three. Number three. Jordan Travis from Florida State. We talked about him earlier. 23 at 31, 341 yards, four touchdowns. He did throw a pick and had a couple shaky throws. Um, but once they got going in the second half, um, he also had 38 yards rushing and another touchdown as well. So that's five total touchdowns for Jordan Travis. Mm. Big upset win over LSU in week one, 45 to 24. They did a college game day segment on him too and talked about how in 2020 he was so down about playing quarterback. That he went to Mike Norvell and said, hey, I'll play receiver. Like, I'm playing mm. so bad right now. I don't feel comfortable playing quarterback. And Mike Norvell turned around and said, no, you're going to be our quarterback of the future. And right there, his whole mindset changed. And you saw the confidence there on Saturday or on Sunday. Um, good pick at three. Two. Number two. Just talked about him probably having the best offense in the country. Michael Penix Jr. from University of Washington. 56-19 over Boise State. 29 of 40. 450 yards and five big touchdowns. Zero interceptions against a very scrappy and good football team in Boise State, which should contend in the Mountain West this year. Um, shout out to Michael Penix and those receivers over at Washington. You guys were fun to watch this last weekend. And at number one. I mean, it goes without saying who this guy is. He should have probably thrown. He ended up 38 for 47. He probably was more like 43 or 44 for 47 if you really look at the game and got plagued by a couple drops early in the game. But 38 for 47, 510 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions for Shador Sanders, leading Colorado to the big upset of number 17, TCU, 45 to 42 in Fort Worth in the game of the weekend. Shout out to Shador Sanders. You are our number one quarterback for week one. He just looks so poised, man, when he plays, dude. He looks so poised. Like, he's been there before. He's got his dad, Deion Sanders, who's been through all the pressure his whole life. And anywhere that the Sanders are, they're going to win. So. Love the list there. Um, I can't complain. Emory Jones kind of shocked me. I didn't really see much of Emory Jones this weekend, but I'll trust the QB guru that, hey, he had a good performance. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We do our <laughs> yeah, research here. It. We try and tell you guys it's not just about the Power Five. It's not just about the big-time names. We do our research. All levels, we do our research. Um, let's go into buy or sell. And, Cody, I'm going to start with my buy. I got two buys here. Okay. Um, my first off, I'm going the Sanders family, but I'm going a different Sanders member, mm. right? This Sanders guy does not play on the field right now, but I think he has a pivotal role in the Colorado Buffaloes football program and what he's been showing on social media, the videos, the YouTube, his grind too. Like he'll, he'll both film during the game and post that night, get the content out there. And that's Deion Sanders Jr. What he's been doing with well-off media. Um, it's something that we haven't seen before. And I'm going to be surprised that more college football teams are starting to show the behind the scenes. Why is that? The more personalities, more personalities that fans can see, the behind the scenes that they can see, the more money they will buy into the program. More NIL money they'll buy into some of these players that maybe aren't the big-time names. But, I mean, guys like Dylan Edwards, you've seen behind the scenes, seems like a cool guy. 
you know, to kind of see him after a game like that and to kind of see, you know, him on Sports Center. Oh my God, I got mentioned on Sports Center. Like those little things that he does, but not only what Deion Sanders Jr.'s his work ethic, his his contact he's got out, but the fact that he can just get it and edit it and get it out there. Me doing this too is kind of got me a different perspective on what he's been doing. Ton of respect. I think Deion Sanders Jr. and Well Off Media is my buy for this week. Love it. Love it. Love it. Great choice. He does Thank do you. a really good job. Like you said, he's able to get content out quick, um, which is, I mean, anytime content is king and you're able to get it out to the masses quickly, as as we know, mm. um, in our background. Timing is everything, that's too. big. Yeah. So um, I'm going to go a buy. I'm going to be – I buy. I'm buying Washington in the Pac-12. I'm doubling down on Washington in the Pac-12. Um, anytime you hold a Boise State, a talented Boise State team to 19 points and put up 56 of your own against usually a really game defensive team in Boise State, to me, um, that shouts that you're ready to play. Because a lot of – like, that shouted letdown. Like, or at least, like, maybe, like, you know, 31-28 where, like, they – get up 31 to 10 and like give up a couple late touchdowns. And you're kind of like, dude, what are you guys doing? Messing around. Mm. But nah, they, you saw from the very beginning, pedal to the metal, all gas, no breaks for Washington. I'm buying you dub as a PAC 12 contender and really a college football playoff contender as well. Oh, okay. Hey, you have them in your top four. So LSU, yes, they might be down this week. They might be down because they lost, but Washington definitely moving up there. Uh, I forgot to mention too, Deion Sanders Jr.'s TCU video, Colorado TCU video, it's had a million views Fire. in one day. Fire. Fire stuff. Now let's get to sell. Cody, I'm going to let you start off first. <laughs> sell. I'm, I, have to, I hate to say this. I hate to say this. I said he was going to have a bounce back year in year two for South Carolina. I thought he was going to be able to come in and engineer something better than he did. I know you're over there smiling because you're like, I want him to be embarrassed, but I got to say it. I'm selling Spencer Rattler. You know, I like, Ooh. I'm selling him as a first round draft pick or even as like a high round draft pick. Like, unfortunately, like at the end of the day, when you're on the field, it's your job to take care of the protection in terms of getting them in the right spot, audibling, changing to running plays if you need to. Spencer Rattler, I'm selling your stock, bro. I loved you coming out of high school. I loved you your first year at Oklahoma when we won the Big 12 Championship. Um, yeah, I got to sell. Sorry, man. Yeah, yeah, Spencer Rattler, um, just don't expect any phone calls on day one or day two. Uh, day three, have that phone on. Uh, you will not get a call day one or day two. I don't care if I get made fun of for this. Or, hey, if you come at me, you say this. Your phone will be right here <laughs> during those first two days. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I can't stand him. Um, I sell. I'm gonna go with the Ohio State quarterback. Mm. Man, I just uh, yep. there's no choice. it factor. There wasn't there wasn't anything that we saw in that game that was like a flash of what could be Kyle McCord. Like we saw Jaden Rashad in his first freshman game. We saw some deep balls. Whoa, we, whoa, that's that was insane. I understand why he's so good. We saw we saw flashes from Dante Moore. Okay, we understand why he's a five star. Obviously, younger guys, but for Kyle McCord. I mean, you could say the the catch to Marvin Harrison Jr. that he stepped out was kind of a flash, but could you argue that was more mostly Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, on that play? Yeah. Who knows? But my sell is going to be Ohio State's quarterback room. Y'all got to figure it out and figure it out quickly. If you guys keep continuing this battle till Notre Dame, they will abuse you. They will make you silly. So my sell is Ohio State's Great choice. Room. I hate to say it because I'm a quarterback guy. I hate to see bad quarterback play, but those are two – yeah. Like, it just is what it is, right? Spencer Rattler had a terrible game, bro. Sorry. And 
Kyle well, McCord get, and yeah. Devin Brown. Well, get the ball to the fucking playmakers, please. <laughs> please. Uh, or Marvin's going to sit out for the year. Who knows? Hey, I don't think he's that type of guy. Don't mess around and but... get Jackson Smith and Jigbud. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a tough subject. Um, let's talk some game balls and let's wrap this episode up, Cody. Great episode. Yep. Um, my first game ball, I've got two game balls today. My first game ball I'm giving to the Colorado offensive line. This was supposed to be the weakness of this team, and it was the strength of this team last weekend. Um, the offensive line, fluent, five new starters, transferred from five different schools, I believe. Um, they, their communication was great. They played really well. What's up, O'Ryan? He agrees with me. And yeah, Colorado, Colorado's offense. My kids agree. They heard daddy screaming and yelling at the TV yesterday. So they knew exactly what it was. Colorado. (laughs) Okay. My first game ball. I'm going to stick with the Colorado theme, but I'm going to give it to the Colorado offensive coordinator. Please look up his name for me. So I don't butcher it, but I will look up his name. I'm going to have to give him the game ball because he was Five steps ahead of anything that TCU was doing defensively. Sean Lewis. Sean Lewis. Shout out to you. I think if you if I remember correctly, Sean Lewis actually was a part of. Do you remember the QB one series on Netflix? Yes. And Tavon Bowers. I'm pretty sure he was his quarterback coach in that. If I'm remembering, if I'm thinking of the right guy, I think he was Tavon Bowers' quarterback coach back in like 2018 or 2017 or something like that. Um, so, um, well, so in 20 in 2016 to 17, he was the Syracuse uh, Syracuse offensive coordinator, co-offensive coordinator. In 2018 to 22, he was at Kansas State as a head coach. Okay, so it's it not him, but I exactly think, like. But him. it was like his QB coach was working with Tavon Bowers at the time or something like that. Like it was mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. Point I'm making is the man has made a great ascent to where he's at. He's clearly in the right spot. He has a great player triggering his offense. Um, clearly, he has a very sharp, like one play, two play ahead mindset because he literally had TCU scrambling in every way. Um, and when you have a trigger man like Shador Sanders getting the job done for you, I mean, super impressive what they were able to do against a very, very good and talented TCU football team. Yeah, and he probably ran the same offense at Kent State, but I mean the talent they had at Kent State versus Colorado, it's like it's like for example, like vodka reference here, right? So vodka yeah. like Nikolai vodka is kind of what Kent State is. And then that premium, like the premium expensive ass vodka. I say tea, that top shelf vodka is what Colorado's got over Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Sure. I like that pick a lot. My second game ball, and this one threw me for a loop. Probably the biggest upset betting wise. I'm gonna go Texas State. I mean, big win again. Like wow. we saw, we saw a model from Colorado where they got a ton of transfers. First year head coach, first win for their head coach there at Texas State. Forty nine transfers. They were second the most transfers following Colorado. Cody, this might be the new mold of college football. Might be just loading up all these transfers and just going out there and balling. Shout out Lincoln Riley because he was the first one to do it. Deion Sanders, and then obviously Texas State's head coach, which I'm going to look up his name right now because I do not have his Yeah, they definitely took it to the next level. I'm going to stick with the Texas theme. And I know this one's going to hurt you, Jax, because you're a big fan of them. You're high on them. Second game ball, the Wyoming student section and fans. They were (laughs) raucous all night against a very good Texas Tech team. Took them to overtime. Got the job done. Crowd rushed the field. That's to me, that's one of the things that makes college football great. 
So shout out to those Cowboy fans up there in Wyoming, up in Laramie, Larrabee, Wyoming. Um, you guys were awesome all night in that Texas Tech game. Fun to watch. Um, and obviously, like I said, whenever you get a crowd rush, a field rush, that's always, like I said, what makes college football great. Yeah, and their quarterback, his quote at the end of the game, too, he said we were trying to take him to the deep end of the pool mm. and let him drown, mm. and they folded. Talk mm. to him. Insane. Talk to him, Wyoming. Well, it sucks there for Texas Tech, but again, they've got conference play to see if they can turn around there. But, Cody, week one preview, week one recap in the books. Let's clap it up. Let's clap it up, Bubba. Clap it up. Clap it up. Wee. Clap it up, all right? Wee. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we conclude this episode of The Point After, episode 8, episode 9. Coming soon, guys. We're going to preview week 2. There's some big games. Texas-Alabama. Remember when Cody said that Texas was going to beat Alabama? We've got some conflicting thoughts about that game, so stay tuned, as well as some other big storylines. We want to prepare you for everything you need to know about week 2. So when you watch week 2, you know what to watch for. You know where to go. The Point After. Like, comment, and subscribe. Best content in the game. Join us now. Don't join us later. Join us now. Support the program. Cody Oaks of Jackson Groff. We'll see you next time. Peace.